0: Welcome in to episode 191 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. The Sources Say Podcast is presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations that's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Remember that Regular dental appointments are important for your overall health. You can learn more and make an appointment at justicedental.com. Dr. Justice and Dr. Thompson look forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Boo Boo Country. Sean, how the heck are you?
1: I'm fantastic, Jack. Feels good to be back.
0: Oh, no kidding, man. It has been an absolute whirlwind uh, of the last couple of weeks with work and recruiting ramping back up. Uh, Zach Gagan and I went out to Vegas for the Pangos All American camp and watched, you know, 120 different recruits in action. And it has just been nonstop interviews and, and, uh, you know, transcribing and articles and uh, now they're doing these camps in person at UK where we're interviewing the current players and we just had a press conference introducing new Kentucky assistant coach KT Turner yesterday so it has just been non-stop for the last uh, several couple weeks so we're finally uh, getting a chance to breathe and getting a chance to get these microphones in front of our uh, faces again Sean so I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, get things rolling once again uh, it's uh, been you know it's been a newsy week uh newsy couple of weeks uh it kind of just it was small things and i guess kind of big picture uh roster type things so i, I will we'll definitely break down i guess the conclusion of the uh off season of sorts in terms of you know transfer portal drama and looking at potential additions to the 2022-2023 roster uh, and then uh, the recruiting is has ramped up in the class of 2024. The direct contact period began on Wednesday where ki- uh, k- coaches across America can now contact rising juniors directly. They don't have to go through parents and coaches and third parties anymore. They can go straight, straight to the horse's mouth Uh, and and contact them directly and we got some early offers something that cal has never done during his time at kentucky so we're going to talk about kind of the meaning behind that we'll talk you know we'll we'll bring up the names and like you know a very 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 loose bio of the the kids that got offered but we really don't need to you know if we have such a long time before we get into you know who really matters in that class is as top priorities but it's more so the kind of big picture of uh, of John Calipari's recruiting mindset has clearly changed, and that's definitely something worth discussing. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the breakdown of the roster, and uh, that that's, it appears that things are wrapped up, practices here, Sean, and, and we got our first little glimpse of the team getting shots up and uh, a little mini practice montage. So it's a lot of fun stuff there. Let's get started with uh, the recruiting stuff in the class of 2024. John Calipari opens up the period by contacting over 13 uh, prospects, pushing 15, 16, I believe, uh, when all said, all was said and done. Extended four offers, Sean. and Cal has never done this before. Cal has always been a person that I want to wait until, uh, you know, midway through their junior year. I want to get them on campus. I want to see them with my own two eyes at Peach Jam. He is all about in-person evaluation. And some of these kids, they've just kind of gotten started with the evaluation process. But Cal is kind of going against the grain, doing something that he has never been comfortable doing, extending four scholarship offers. The day started with Ian Jackson, my personal favorite, in the class of 2024, a two-way threat, dynamic score, uh, elite athlete. He's a two-way threat. Uh, you know, elite defensive talent that that I, I, we've talked about several times on this show. He is a potential reclass candidate for the class of 2023. Uh, so that was the first name off the board. Then we got uh, Trey Johnson out of Texas, who KT Turner is UK's new assistant. He has deep, deep Texas ties. He gets a scholarship offer. He's another top three player in the class. Then you get Isaiah Elohim's another top five player. He's out of California very physical strong presence kind of 6'5 190 200 pounds uh very physical aggressive guard and then uh, the day ends with a late scholarship to Carter Knox who is actually Sean the brother of former Kentucky standout Kevin Knox he gets a scholarship offer top 10 recruit uh very polished fundamentally sound player not the you know the greatest athlete or the best shooter but he just does a lot of things very well very fundamentally sound player so there are four. New names to get off the board, and then there's a whole other list of 13 uh, other players that got reached, got that heard from Kentucky on Wednesday. But, Sean, this is a clear change of mindset from John Calipari and what we've seen uh, from him in the past. Just what were your overall takeaways from a very, very hectic and busy uh, Wednesday?
1: I think it was very encouraging. Uh, I was following along with uh, all the reaching out, and, and usually that's what you get on that day, right, and when it comes to that first that contact period where you can start contacting players and, and things and kind of taking recruitments to the next level. But on the first day of being able to do that, you start extending scholarship offers to very talented players. You're right. That's something that Cal hasn't done. That's uh, something that Cal – he typically will have guys wait. He'll want to see them in person, and, and then it'll go throughout that stage of the recruitment, and then here comes Kentucky with an offer after maybe 10, 15, 20 schools have already offered. This is so encouraging to me because now you're allowing your staff and you as a head coach to start building that relationship even sooner and not doing the whole, this is Kentucky, it's not for everyone. You can offer and still have those same conversations. This has been the part that's been missing in recent years, and it's really encouraging to see that.
0: Yeah, it's something that we've been complaining about. You know, how is it a guy like Ron Holland who just received his scholarship offer in the class of twenty twenty three? Mind you, where right around this time last year is when his explosion kind of started. It was a he was a late bloomer, kind of a late summer. Then his junior year, his uh, junior year uh, at uh, Duncanville, he starts kind of exploding and has a phenomenal, phenomenal year. All these other schools have already extended offers and kind of made him a top priority and. Uh, and every time he gets interviewed, Sean, he goes, I, I would love to go to Kentucky. Kentucky's been my dream school my entire life, but they're not contacting me. They don't have any real like level of interest in me, and I really don't understand why. And they would be like, would you like to take a visit to him? And he's like, yeah, of course I'd like to take a visit, but they aren't contacting me. And then there were rumors like, well... You know, maybe there's some stuff going on in his recruitment. Maybe he's looking for money. Maybe you know he's you know looking for handouts. There's all those rumors of why would why would Kentucky not want to go after a five star top fifteen prospect in the class? Uh, and, and and those things start coming out, and you go, okay, well maybe that does make sense. And then UK starts going to his, his games and seeing him in person, and then inviting him in uh, on campus for visits. And just now, he receives a scholarship offer, and it's just like, why if you're if you don't like a kid don't recruit him. And, and, you know, cut ties, say, sorry, it's not the right fit. We're looking for something else, whatever. It's, you know, no harm, no foul. That part's fine. But if you're going to do that, you know, cut the ties, either make the decision to go all in early or say, sorry, this isn't a right fit. Let's, you know, move on. It it, it was just kind of this weird, happy medium that they couldn't find that now, you know, I've heard things went very well on the visit and he did get his offer. And, you know, I, I think they did make up some ground, but there's still the talk of the G League. There's talk, of Arkansas and and UCLA and some of these other schools that have been on him for a long time. So it, that part has just been very frustrating. And I think Powell went out of his way to kind of change that mindset, uh, especially he goes out and reaches out to 15, 16 kids, and that's exactly what Kentucky fans have been wanting. You br- you brought up a great point. It's not about picking and choosing, okay, these are our five guys and these are the only ones that we're going to be recruiting this entire time. You can cast a wider net as time goes on, as more pro- prospects develop. You don't have to tie yourself down to just a handful of kids from the start. You can cast a wide net and tighten things up down the road, or you can kind of start wide and get big and then tighten things up.
1: There's no... And as you build that relationship, right, with these recruits and their families, you get to know them on a more personal level. And if you see, hey, this isn't a fit, you can easily just pull yourself out of that and just just back away from it. If if something pops up that's a red flag, you've extended an offer. You we all know that offers change, right? Like a kid will have an offer, and next thing you know, it's not a committable offer, or the the team's no longer involved. Like that that is the thing. But getting involved early in twenty four. You're not going to see it obviously with 23 because like you just mentioned, a couple of guys and and stuff that waited around a long time for offers and they still going to have a chance to get some of those guys, but 24 is where you're going to see this change in philosophy of extending scholarship offers early. What's the benefit for Kentucky? And now they're right there with the rest of the blue bloods. You don't see Kansas Duke and these other schools waiting to offer guys, just continue to offer and, and just continue doing your thing. And, I think it's very encouraging to see. it, it To me, now that John Calipari is playing this new game and recruiting and saying, all right, we were going to offer this kid anyhow, whether it's six, eight, nine months from now, what's the difference in me getting that offer now? Because it, it's not like it was, Jack. It, like, kids aren't wanting and sitting there going, man, I can't wait for that Kentucky offer. It's going to change my entire life. They're, they're wanting it now when they get these other offers. They want to put it out on social media. They want to be able to put that list out early and it's good that Kentucky's getting involved in that pool of teams now.
0: Yeah, it, it's the the days of how bringing kids in on official visits, you know, midway through their senior seasons or, you know, leading up to, you know, following their junior year, the summer going into their senior years, bringing kids in on official visits and kind of having this big presentation and creating this kind of hoopla with these visits the way it worked in the past does not work the same. And it's, it's about the kids. It's not even about the appeal of Kentucky, like the appeal of Kentucky is still there. It's not like they've lost the, the, you know, kind of the, the gold standard. And yeah, like they've lost some, some, you know, some of that footing and other schools have caught up, but Kentucky's still Kentucky. It's still a blue blood program and their offers are more significant than some others, but it's not about the offers themselves. It's about the establishing relationships early and making initial contact and and kids wanting to feel wanted. How many times did we see, you know, Ron Holland was the perfect example. He's sitting there and, you know, talking about, uh, you know, yeah, I'd like to go to Kentucky, but they're not reaching out to me. They might be reaching out to my mom, but I'm really not certain. It's just kind of a weird relationship. And then the very next quote is, yeah, Eric Musselman calls me every single day and makes me feel like the most wanted person on the planet. It's it's about that feeling of being wanted, not necessarily you know whether you have an offer in hand or uh, you know it's just it's just about relationships. And that's something that I think uh, has kind of lost track w- w- at Kentucky in in recent years. But it's very clear, uh, Sean, that they are going out of their way to change that narrative. I mean, there's 15 kids, 16 kids that got that heard from Kentucky on day one four with scholarship offers in hand obviously uh, you know it's way too early to get into you know the nitty-gritty and, and specifics of these kids but is there any one of those four that you that kind of stood out to you and went whoa like that's that's a guy that I could see in Kentucky blue that's a guy that I would like. Uh, as kind of an early dream class scenario
1: for for the Cats? Uh, Ian Jackson's where it starts with me, honestly. Like, I, I was so impressed with him when I watched him in Spartanburg back in April. And I know you and I have talked a lot about him, you know, on the show. We've talked about him in text. We've talked about him on the phone. Uh, just a, a very talented player. And and those are the guys that, I'm, that I wanted to see John Calipari offer immediately. As soon as you could extend offers or as soon as you could start that contact period and begin building those relationships with those players – those are the kids you want to see. And, and uh, that one's where it starts with me. I mean, uh, a talented guy that that defends his tail off. He's an electric offensive player. He'll dunk on you. He'll rise up and shoot a jump shot on you. Great in transition. Will pick you up 90-plus feet. I mean, it's it's unbelievable the energy that he plays the game of basketball with. And I told this story on this podcast. The When I was in Spartanburg, he defended and, and caused a turnover, and Orlando Antigua was applauding it. And you don't see many coaches on the baseline applauding effort in a high school basketball game, but that's how much it, the excitement he brings to the game. So I think it starts with him. Yeah. Ian too. I mean,
0: he's my favorite player in the class and I'll, I'll, you know, put that out there. I'm supposed to not show biases toward kid. You know, like I, I just love watching him play. He's energetic. He's fun. And I, I just have a blast watching him. He's a, uh, a nonstop entertainment every time he steps on the floor. And I, I'm not afraid to admit that I, I do really like that, that, Texas to Kentucky pipeline is continuing as well with Trey Johnson. That's something that there was a lot of worry when Jay Lucas left for Duke that, you know, what happens there? How does Kentucky continue to bring in guys like Tyrese Maxey and, you know, PJ Washington spent some time down in in Texas and, you know, you go down the list to Aaron Fox and, uh, you know, there's just such a long, extensive list of guys from Texas that have made an I mean, this roster alone, Casey Wallace and Damian Collins both came from Texas And, uh, you know, you wanted to see that momentum continue. You wanted to see KT Turner make his initial impact uh, in Lexington uh, in, in, you know, as a, a primary recruiter for the state of Texas in day one. The first one, you know, the second offer of the day goes to Trey Johnson, who's the best player in Texas, a guy that's very outspoken about his love for Kentucky. And uh, I think it's a battle right now between Baylor and Kentucky with Baylor having a slight lead, but he was waiting for Kentucky to ramp things up. They have ramped things up and now they've extended an offer. So I think right now it's neck and neck with Kentucky clearly picking up steam now that they have extended an offer. So those two in particular, Ian and Trey, are definitely two major offers uh, for the Cats. So that is the future of Kentucky basketball and some potential names to keep an eye on moving forward. Now, as for the current state of things, uh, Sean, it appears the 2022-2023 roster is wrapped up, uh, at least on the surface level. There are no other names out there on the portal that Kentucky has made contact with. It's, uh, you know, they're not even really any players worth mentioning you know in in terms of being kentucky quality and and it it, though i believe the last time john calipari you know put something out about the team and being excited about the team starting up practice he said uh our whole team our whole roster is uh here in lexington and and that's when workouts started and practice the first practice officially started yesterday or i believe uh, yesterday the day before or whatever but uh it doesn't appear that Kentucky is looking to add any other names for this class and and you know we'll talk about uh you know newcomers and different things that that you know who we think are standouts and that's kind of make up the bulk of this next segment but I do want to add that there was a report uh this past week about uh 2023 five star center Uganda Kingsley who is seen widely widely seen as the best shot blocker in the class he is elite in that regard uh, a- absolute force on the defensive end, still very raw offensively. He's, he's definitely seen as a long-term kind of project big, especially if he were to make his way to campus right now. There was, so I had uh, on uh, my Sunday morning radio show on 6.30 WLAP, where Sean, you were actually on this this uh, edition this past week. Uh, we had Travis Branham on 247, the best in the business for my money. I think he's, uh, you know, for, on a national level, I, I, yeah, I think he's... Developed to just such an incredible uh, database of you know of, of a network and and what he says is essentially gospel at this point. So he goes on live radio with me and I ask you know what about the class of twenty twenty three? Aaron Bradshaw is uh, on campus right now for an official visit. UK is going after Uganda Kingsley. They're you know they're going after Dennis Evans and maybe Isaiah Miranda. Like what 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 is Kentucky doing for the big class in twenty twenty three? And Sean Travis throws this out there out of the blue and just says. Uh, yeah, Kentucky's in a great spot with Uganda Kingsley. Be on the lookout for a reclass to 2022, uh, like in the next couple of weeks, and Kentucky being the spot. It was like, where the hell did that come from? Like, there was talk about a reclass in the last several months with him, but that kind of got quieted, you know, pretty hush hush with that uh, in recent months. And then he just kind of brought it out of nowhere that Kentucky was a very uh, possible, like, you know, landing spot for him. Uh, and then uh, after I, I so I, I transcribed some of the quotes that he gave, I wrote an article about it and it got loud very quickly, kind of got like 300, 400 likes or whatever. And the vo- the news spread rather quickly. Andrew Slater, who is the most connected person in basketball and for my money, uh, I, I think, you know, in terms of insiders and knowing just th- being three, four steps ahead of everybody else. Uh, for my money, he's the best in the game at, at what he does. You know, obviously different than being kind of a, a recruiting expert and, you know, an analyst. He's kind of a behind-the-scenes, in-the-shadows type guy. He knows everything, and he goes out there and says, uh, Ugana Kingsley will not be reclassified to the class of 2022. So it was like, huh, that was a little bit of a buzzkill for some fans that were ex- excited about the possibility of adding Uganda. Uh, and then I spoke with somebody um, just that would know Sean and you know, you know, who I'm talking about. And, uh, it was made clear that, you know, just let's just kind of let things play out the way they need to play out. And I think that's the the way to, uh, address that, that we can, you know, just don't need to dive too much into it, but let's just kind of plan as if the roster is set as is, um, what are your thoughts? What do you think now that where there's not, they're not going to add another sharpshooter off the Grandison's going to Duke. So you're not going to get a 41% threat from deep that he was. What are your thoughts on the current state of things assume Uganda does not end up at Kentucky and are in the class of 2022
1: and things are set as they are right now. I have no issues or concerns talent wise. If they're healthy. I, I don't. I, I think they have all the tools. I think they have all the pieces to to be a really good team, be a special team, and, and have a chance to advance deep in that tournament. I, I really do, but I do have concerns just a little bit when it comes to durability. We we know CJ Frederick's track record. We know the the injury history for four or five years now. There's been something that's either kept him out for a few games here and there, or a nagging injury. Or last season, then unfortunately it kept him out the entire year. We know that he's working his way back. He's out. He was out there yesterday uh, for that first practice of the summer. We did see that in video, and he's working his way up to full speed and, and full go by the time they get to the Bahamas. But You've got that. You had Savir Wheeler miss a couple of games last year. We know how hard he plays. Uh I'm a little concerned that if, if this is a team that goes through something like last season where they get a couple of guys banged up, do they have enough there with only those 10 scholarship guys? And we're talking about a, a Dutero there that a guy that we don't really know his development where he is in his game right now. Is he going to be able to make an impact as a true freshman? I'm not sure, but – The other guys that they have, I feel comfortable about. It's just as long as they're healthy and they don't have something go wrong, and we all know in Kentucky basketball, the track record is there's going to be a guy that goes down with an injury at some point that's going to miss some time or there's going to be some nagging injuries where they'll be down a guy or down two guys. That's the way it's been for a few years. That's the way it is in college basketball, period. That's my only concern is is, do they have enough if they sustain an injury somewhere, like a rolled ankle that keeps somebody out for two weeks or just something that even keeps somebody out a month. That's my only concern with the roster. But when it comes to talent, I have no concerns with it.
0: Yeah, I think if you're looking at it from a very surface level, what this roster is, uh, I, I mean, it's got playmakers, it's got shooters, it's got rebounders, it's got athletes, it's got you know shot blockers, it's got – uh, High end defenders. It's got energy guys. I mean, it it is a loaded roster with everything that you would need for a title contender. However, it's got
1: versatility too. It's got a lot of versatility. I mean, you look
0: at a guy like Chris Livingston who could play two through four. I do Tiro play, you know, could play one through three. Tayson Wallace, one through three. Uh, you know, Damian three, four if you need it. Four or five. Yeah. I mean, the, you just go down the list and, and the any, these guys can just do whatever you need them to do. However, injuries, like you said, they are, they they happen. And, you know, maybe with the new strength and conditioning coach, they keep hyping him up and posting, you know, pictures of him. Maybe that changes things. And, you know, I know Kyle Tucker put a report out there that said that uh, there was a whole research institute of, you know, strength and conditioning, uh, you know, a, a program that Kentucky didn't even utilize under Uh, You know Rob Harris, which is something that really I don't know how that happened, but there's a whole other side to this program that uh, Brady Welsh, when he when he came in, basically said, "I'm going to utilize this. I'm going to use all of my resources available to me to make sure that these kids are healthy, that they keep getting stronger, that they're conditioned well, all these things." So maybe that that does help, and that makes me feel a lot better about the thing. You know this this team as a whole. However injuries happen rolled ankles happen it is what it is does this team have enough to over to you know kind of compensate for those to, to get through should minor ding-ups happen from time to time that's the biggest concern can you trust cj frederick to stay healthy you know he's he's in the best shape of his life and you know i talk to people close to him they say that he's in in tremendous shape and everything is fantastic you know, it, it just kind of is what it is at this point and And you got to just hope for the best with, with with that, you know, is can Antonio Reeves be enough? Uh, you know, it, there, it's just those questions that uh, can is does this team have enough uh, enough depth? And I I, I, I it's one of those things that is it is what it is. It's not like there's anybody else Kentucky can add at this point to, you know, kind of fix that. So we just have to kind of trust and hope for the best uh, on that front. But I, I agree with you on that surface level. I do think that it is enough. Um, in terms of the newcomers, there are four new, I guess we can consider five newcomers. If you include CJ Frederick, since this is the first time we will have seen him in person. Um, who do you think can be the biggest impact player of that group? Is the, is there one guy that's, that is, that singles out to you, that stands out to you as somebody that can be a game changer for this program from day one.
1: And, and you know, right before we started recording, we were talking about this topic and, and then I threw out there that you, that we should include CJ in it. So I'm going to include one answer just from the four, and then I'm going to re- include something with CJ as well. But to me, it starts with Casein Wallace and it's because of his versatility, because we know Sabir is going to be able, he's going to play a ton of minutes at the one But we also know that Wheeler's going to need some moments where he's not in the game. And when he's not in the game, that's where a guy like Casey Wallace is going to remain in the game and slide and be a guy with the ball in his hands, with that combo guard skills. His ability to defend and set the tone on that end of the floor gives him an identity in college basketball immediately. That's what I think separates him. I could see Chris Livingston, the, the potential there to be a really good defender, Uh, continue improving that three-point shot. Is he a two? Is he a three? Is he a four? There's so many unknowns with his game as well. But I I think it's going to be Kaysen Wallace. I I honestly think that he's the easiest pick when it comes to having the – really the table set to have the most significant impact because we know he's going to play with a motor on both ends of the floor. The other side of that, though, when you throw C.J. Frederick into the conversation, the sharp shooting ability of him from three-point range – it's just different than anyone else on the roster. So you could honestly lean him, too, because he's the guy that – I don't want to say – like last year we kept saying, you know, pigeonhole Kellen Grady into just being a shooter. C.J. Frederick has a reputation of just being a knockdown shooter, and it's been that way for a very long time. We know what he brings to the roster. So his impact alone in that is significant. But I just feel like Cason Wallace is set up to be able to do it the most across multiple positions and in multiple roles. I think the
0: answer to this question is Case and Wallace. I think you're right. I do think he's going to be one of the best instant impact players. I think he's one of the most college-ready freshmen in college basketball right now, uh, and I think that he's going to step in and immediately be, be a playmaker, a high-level defender. I, 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 He has a very uh, low, low, low fail rate at Kentucky, I think. I just, I just don't see him failing at the college level.
1: There's too uh, many ways he impacts the game, too many ways. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah that a guy like Cason wallace will not fail at kentucky it, it just it, i mean it just be impossible for him to not be a high level impact player i will add that i don't know what it was but i have had my I, i've had my doubts about chris livingston and you know the just from a positional standpoint i just really uh, I've, I was concerned that he was going to be a, you know, kind of come off screens and they'd try to have him come off pin downs and do different, you know, shooter specific things that didn't play to his abilities the best way. And I thought that's how, if he, if he was going to underwhelm as a college player, I thought that's how it would be. However, seeing pictures and videos of him get on campus and him being absolutely jacked, John, that dude is a tank. And seeing how well he, you know, how physically ready he is for this level, I'm starting to kind of come around to the idea that I really struggle seeing an avenue of failure for him either. Like, I, I don't know how somebody that big and strong and athletic and gifted finishing. Would underwhelm, and is you know, and I'm not saying he's going to be a 15 point per game scorer or whatever. I mean, he very well could be a 12 and six type guy at Kentucky, but I that's still a phenomenal freshman campaign, and and he could still be a lottery pick after year one. But I just think physically he is so gifted, and athletically he's so gifted that this isn't like a Khalil Whitney where he was just kind of longer and more athletic than everybody else and really didn't have a lot of skill to add to his just, you know, elite athleticism. Chris Livingston has all of that stuff with him. And I think the fail rate for him as well is just super, super, super low, especially after seeing him early. If if he can knock down 35% of his threes, Sean, I think he's very,
1: very good college player. Yeah. He's, I I really like him. I I like what you brought up about his body and how he looks. I mean, he looks the part right now, Jack. And and I could see Kentucky doing a lot of different things with him. And and when it comes to this team, there are a couple things that I think are going to be very, very good from the moment the season begins all the way up until the final game. And hopefully that final game is in the final four in a national championship game. and, And this team getting a chance to make a deep run in the tournament, this is going to be an elite team in transition. You're going to have a point guard that's going to push the pace. You've got a rim-running five. You've got some long forwards that are great in transition. That is where Livingston excels. He is really good getting downhill. I think you also are going to have a team that can defend you for 40 minutes up in you at multiple spots with Xavier Wheeler and Kason Wallace in the backcourt. With Chris Livingston, I think his potential as a defender. We know what Jacob Topping can do one through four. This is going to be a really good team in transition, a really good defensive team. But when it comes to Chris Livingston, I'm interested in seeing what Kentucky does with him. You mentioned some of those pin downs and things. Remember how they would use Michael Kiggio, back in the day where they'd run him off some of those flex screens and they'd get a switch and they'd get him maybe on a smaller guy at times and they'd post him up. I could envision Kentucky doing some similar things with Chris Livingston on the, on the block or maybe letting him catch it 15 feet in that elbow range and letting him rip and just go and just use that size and strength to get downhill. Yeah, I I, 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 it's just crazy because like I, I just always saw like man,
0: it'd be such a shame if this experiment didn't work because they wanted him to just be a guard and have him be a like it. it I, I gotta admit, it really scared me when uh, I interviewed him at the McDonald's All American game and I asked, you know, what are you know what role does Cal see you playing? And and he said, uh, yeah, well, right now he has me watching Devin Booker film and you know coming off screens for catching shoot threes, <laughs> and I'm. Like, Oh, that is not the answer that we wanted to hear. It's like this guy's like baby LeBron. It's like he's a guy that gets downhill and attacks the basket. And He's a mismatch nightmare. Let him use his physicality and, and and you know be a a mismatch threat. Like why are we letting him flow down out on the perimeter? Like it makes no sense. I think if they can let if they can let him you know do some guard things and and you know kind of get the shooting out of his system let him get a couple threes a game i'm fine he's uh, he's capable enough of a shooter that if if he's giving you 35 percent from three or whatever i'm confident i just i want to make sure that the best of his abilities are utilized to maximize the potential of this team i think sean and, and i think the the way that happens and, and i'm not saying you know i was all aboard the Use him as a small ball four thing, and and I, you know, I'd still love to see it that could happen. It, right? It still could, uh, but I, I do think he is skilled enough, and he he is has enough guard skills to be a three as a Michael K. Gilchrist type guy, as a slasher, as a catch and, and you know catch quick jab and and attack the basket. Like I think that that's who he could be. I just just you just play to his strengths. He, you know, he can knock down shots, but just don't make him a a shooter. You know, I, I just I want to make sure that he's used right in the
1: system because he does have star potential, especially as a college basketball player. He does. Uh, I think he has a ton of potential this game. I think that's the, the difference that I feel with this team coming in is last year's roster. When you when you looked at the freshman class. Uh, we know what Tata Washington was. We, we talked about Damian Collins and Bryce Hopkins, but the, the message all along last spring through summer was that Damian wasn't going to be able to make an instant impact, a significant impact, but his long-term potential was there. To me, it's a little bit different with these two at the top headlining that class. It is you know that they have the tools and the athletic ability and the talent to, if it works out, it is one season in Lexington, and you got two more NBA draft picks that are going to be possibly first rounders, maybe even some lottery picks. I mean, that, that's the difference in this class coming in. And then you got the experience of a Kuzi Award finalist who we're going to get a chance to interview tomorrow. I just now got the email. And then Oscar Shibway, reigning national player of the year. Like, I like the makeup of this team if they can stay healthy. Uh, you were mentioning Chris Livingston, if, if they run him some small ball four maybe there's an opportunity there when when you've got a guy like Reeves who we've not talked about yet. You've got Frederick that can stretch the floor. You've got a guard. That, do you slide him in there at the fourth spot just to, to look at it? And the thing that John Calipari is going to have the luxury of doing right now is he's going to get looks at this live in August. That's going to be the difference. And that, that to me, this is a team that you want to see early. Get some things answered three months before you play your first game. I, I think that Bahamas trip is really going to be – good for this team, and it's going to answer some things, and we'll have an idea of what it's going to look like in November.
0: You bring up Damian Collins, and it leads us uh, into this next segment that I, I was thinking. Uh, in terms of breakout potential players, uh, Kentucky has uh, you know, three or four guys on, on the team that maybe not turn into stars uh, on this roster, but guys that are pretty clearly on the cusp of making a, a significant leap or somebody that could, you know, see a, a their role improve or, or, or whatever you, know, you got, have guys like Damien Collins. You have guys like Jacob Toppin. You could even throw Lance Ware into that conversation. And and if you want, you know, even, even with this conversation, you could still have CJ Frederick or, or, or whatever, uh, you'd like, who is it, Sean, you think is the biggest breakout potential player of the returning pieces of this class, and, and you know, probably best to not include Savir Wheeler. Uh, you know, if he is a Bob Cousy Award finalist, we know exactly who he is, we know what his biggest flaws are. Uh, you know, he needs to improve on his shooting, he needs to improve on his his ball security. So, really don't need to include him in that. But uh, if you're dying to include him, wh- whatever you want to do, whatever floats, <laughs> who is that that breakout
1: potential uh, player for you? Well, we've been talking ever since he got to Kentucky that, that Jacob Toppin. You know, had a ton of potential and could end up being an NBA player someday based off athleticism, his ability to defend one through four, his athleticism and all those things. And I think that he's probably the easiest pick to me just because his role is going to be, you assume, bigger, right, this season at the four with no Keon Brooks there. And I feel like if, if Jacob Toppin had played the minutes that Keon played last year, maybe his numbers would have been maybe better than Keon's were if if he had been given those opportunities. But to me, I feel like the guy that's actually going to reach some of that potential, that NBA potential, it's going to be Damian Collins. And the reason being, Jack, is because they're going to have to have him. He's going to have to play some minutes, whether it's at the four or at the five behind Oscar Shibwe. And we know that he's added some size. He does things on this roster that other guys can't physically do with his ability to fly above the rim. Uh, his length and his and his reach and stuff defensively to to affect the game on that end of the floor. I, I feel like that those things and some of that untapped potential that had NBA guys and, and where he was rated coming out of high school, I feel like you're going to see that as a sophomore with a year in college basketball now moving into another season. I, I feel like that his potential is just different than Toppin's potential, but I, I could see both those guys breaking out, but I'm going to go Damian Collins.
0: Yeah, if you're going to take – uh, Damian, I, I'll take topping just because there were so many flashes that he showed this past year where, you know, he do things where it was like, whoa, that my friend was an NBA move. You know, he, he would, uh, you know, jab, step, go baseline and dunk on somebody's head. And then two possessions later have these pull up mid range jumpers where it was just like, damn son, like that, that was something to work with. Like, that's something that we can like, like, yeah, like that'll play like that, that, that's some good stuff right there. So. I want to think that if Jacob Toppin takes this offseason very seriously from a shooting perspective and really tries to force the issue as a as a stretch for there was just it was just such a crucial year this past year where there was not a shooting threat from deep at the four and it really you know, kind of hurt this team's potential. Uh, you know, I think down the stretch, where you, I think they needed shooting from that position. They needed, you know, with when Kellen Grady's shooting went down, when Ty Ty Washington was banged up, they needed more shooting from a different spot. And I, I thought that that Jacob, you know, I think Jacob could be that guy. You know, Ke- Keon was so valuable as a mid range threat, but I think Toppin, if he keeps working on his on his three point shot, like I think that could be. Uh, a missing piece of this team. And if not, you know, I do agree. Damian Collins, every highlight that they show, UK shows, Damian Collins is out on the perimeter knocking down a three-point jump shot. That's something that was a part of his game in high school. Uh, It's just, you know, a confidence thing. And, and, you know, Cal's confidence in him to go out there and and knock him down, that's half the battle too. So I, I think they need shooting from that position this season. And I think Jacob Toppin showed enough flashes that I think he can be that guy uh, and if if nothing else as a defensive threat his versatility he can play multiple positions like that's a guy that uh, i think is uh, he's a breakout candidate to not only be a you know a starter and a high level impact guy but i think he could be in the first round draft
1: conversation if he shows that he improves enough as a as a as a shooter from that position in this in this question while you're while you're sitting there you know talking and giving your answer i'm I'm thinking about this roster overall and it, it kind of has everything right it has it has the star. It has the reigning national player of the year. It has the star-studded freshman coming in with uh, Chris Livingston, Casey Wallace. It has the steady steadiness of veterans. It has a point guard experience coming back. It has breakout candidates. We've talked about two right there. And you've got the the roles coming in of uh, Frederick as a shooter with experience. You've got Reeves who improved in three seasons of college basketball. Numbers just continued to explode and just continue to get better. This feels like a roster that that has all of its pieces and has all the makings of a really good basketball team. Uh, But to me, I'm confident one of those two at least breaks out and goes well above what they were a year ago or well above what we think they could be. If both of them get there, then Kentucky's going to be really, really good. But I am confident that one of those two will emerge. And I think that if one breaks out and goes crazy, I think the other one's going to be steady and really good too. Like, I I see both of those guys making impacts on this team this year. Toppin's probably the easiest to pick because he's got the most experience. And we assume he's going to take on a larger role there with no key on. Uh, Does Livingston eat into some of those minutes if they they play him the four? I think that kind of maybe sways the answer for both of those guys, right? But to me, Damien Lance got a lot of minutes last year behind Oscar. I still think Lance will get those opportunities. But I think John Calipari is going to, in the Bahamas, throw Damian Collins in there and then early in the season two and kind of force him into that role because I think that he knows that they're going to need that length on the back end.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. You want to kind of throw Chris Livingston in there because of, you know, everybody has viewed him, yeah, he has some star potential and he was a former top five recruit before, you know, kind of slipped a little bit late. like. He has shown that potential, but I kind of fit him in that breakout candidate category too because of his role, where you don't necessarily expect him to come in and be a, a high-level starter from day one. Uh, you know, just because of some of the things you've heard about his game, you know, the stiffness and the uh, you know shooting inconsistencies and things like that. Like I very much think that a you know one off in the you know John Calipari camp essentially and and you know under the strength and conditioning program learning to adjust his body getting himself in yoga classes to work on that stiffness like I I think an offseason for him I mean could present a major breakout from the end of his senior year at Oak Oak Hill to his freshman year at Kentucky I want to throw him into that that group as well
1: I think that's fair Uh, I really do and and it's still early. I mean, it's June. We've not been in those practices. We don't know what happened yesterday. I mean, we obviously have reports and some conversations. We have a highlight video. We get uh, we actually get to see them in action in less than two months, which is really cool. But I think I can see four starting spots already kind of what they're going to be. I see Wheeler at the one. I see Case and Wallace off the ball at the two. I'm going to throw Jacob Toppin in there at the four because here's why. He's waited his time and he's worked his tail off, and I think he's ready to kind of take that spot early on. And then, of course, Oscar Sheba at the five. The question is, who's the three? And it all depends on how John Calipari wants to play and wants to start games. I could see it being a number of guys. You could see it being Frederick playing two-three. You could see it being Reeves. I could see it being Chris Livingston. Uh, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, is it Damian Collins at the four and, and someone else at the three? I, I don't know. Like, But it, it feels like that four of those – are just about surefire places that the guys, the pieces that will start it's where does Kentucky go with the fifth
0: man? Something tells me it's going to be CJ Frederick, man. Like I, I, I think that the transition from Kellen Grady to CJ Frederick is just almost too, it just makes too much sense. And I think the comparison between davion Davion Mintz and Antonio Reeves makes too much sense. I mean, a uh, spark plug score, that you don't want to rely on a guy like Antonio Reeves coming from Illinois state to be, you know, handle the bulk of the scoring load. But you can lean on CJ Frederick to handle the bulk of the shooting load. And I think that's clearly something that that plays in Kentucky's favor and I think that plays in CJ Frederick's favor that you, they already had the path for Kellen Grady and, and when I interviewed uh, CJ just last a couple weeks ago at in Louisville at one of his pro camp stops he brought up the uh, you know the, the idea that he saw Kellen uh, Grady play all year long and saw the way he was used and saw his role and saw how many open shots and he got and he was like looking at himself and watching film, going, "Dang, I'm gonna have a, an absurd amount of three point show, you know three point looks throughout the year." And he said, "Like I got giddy watching the film and seeing it." From, you know, he was like, "It's never a blessing in disguise to miss an entire year due to injury, but there's something to be said." about seeing how many shots Kellen got up you know he'd make seven eight threes in a single game Uh, he was like you know I know I can step in and make those same shots that Kellen was making so I think just from a pure role standpoint I kind of lean CJ for that reason just because of how well things worked this past year with Kellen.
1: I I like that and and I think a lot of people would like that right you you fell in love with the three perimeter players last year I, I like that look for Kentucky uh CJ is a steady steady piece jack the the thing to me the thing that makes CJ Frederick so impactful and just so useful when it comes to him being on a on this roster it's not just his ability to shoot the 3 it's his ability to value possessions in the basketball too he did not turn the basketball over i, I want to think that i added up one time it was maybe 10 turnovers total during his sophomore season at iowa where he played a ton of minutes John Calipari values guards that can take care of the basketball. He values players that can take care of the basketball. Any coach does. That might be the difference maker, especially early on. And then you get the roster going. But I think what's going to happen, they're going to go to the Bahamas. It's going to be really good. Then it's going to look iffy. And then it's going to look good. It's going to look iffy. And the reason being is John Calipari is going to run a different starting lineup every single time Kentucky takes the floor in the Bahamas because he's going to want to see – different combinations of teams he's going to want to see frederick maybe there with that group he's going to want to see livingston or someone in there that's the luxury you have when you get to do the foreign tour every four seasons you get a live look at your guys against someone else and it helps you answer those questions before you even get into the exhibition schedule in october or november yeah and you bring up you
0: know though the way cj takes care of the ball i also understand that he defend he defends his butt off he works hard He's not just a, another white shooter that gets beat every time, you know, he he gets, you know, he, he'll he hit a three and then give up another on the other end. Like that's not how CJ works. He works his tail off and that's definitely something that he takes pride in. So it's like, it's everything that Cal loves in a player. It's a guy that he fights on defense. He takes care of the basketball and he hits shots. That's a player that plays on a John Calipari shot. That is, mm-hmm. that is that Cal will always find room for on, on the floor it doesn't matter if it's a certain number of minutes or a certain role that guy will play under count
1: and and i'm and i'm hopeful that cj and i think i have a lot of confidence that cj will be healthy uh when you look at him he looks different like his his body is significantly changed i think he's been i think he's been taking care of himself i think he's really worked hard to get back to where he is uh we know him and blair green have both been going through that recovery and she's back on the floor i saw some stuff today from the women's basketball program. So, you know, it's, it's been good to, for him to, for them to have one another and get through that. So I, I'm really pulling for CJ Frederick and, and you remember when he committed to Kentucky last year and we talked about this, it was a big deal because I I kept seeing beyond last year. I said, this is a guy you could have in your program for three years. And, you know, he's looking forward to being back in Rupp arena. And, uh, and getting out there and actually hearing that that crowd cheer for him and and, and twenty thousand plus fans, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. I'm I'm really really hoping for a big year for him.
0: Absolutely. Let's wrap up with one final thought. Uh, the official announcement has been made about the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. Kentucky will take on once again, Sean, the Kansas Jayhawks in what seems to be an every year affair at this point. Kentucky will take on Kansas. But the the key to all this is Kentucky gets them at home. All the fans that complain about this home schedule, rightfully so, they get another home game of of pretty significant substance, and that's uh, uh you get the reigning national champions in uh, Rupp Arena for you know a high profile matchup, uh, S- Big Twelve SEC challenge. Sean, what do you think of uh, yet
1: another year playing the Kansas Jayhawks? Uh, no surprise, right? Is it is it eight of the last nine seasons that they so, played, if I'm not mistaken? And it's either been in the Champions Classic or it's been in the, the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. It, it just feels like it's always going to be Kentucky, Kansas, and I'm fine with that. Like I'm, I think it should be just a permanent opponent, whether it's in a classic or not. Just just play, go go to Allen Fieldhouse. Not even have it on neutral floors. Just do home and away with Kansas every year. I mean, the fans love it. Uh, fans obviously have a right to complain about the home schedule, but at least they're getting this one in that season ticket package this year. You're getting this one and Louisville both, uh, at Rupp So it's two very good home games. I'm a fan of it. You got the defending national champion walking in. You beat them by 18 on their home floor a year ago. So do you beat them by 36 this year? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> so I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, I like it. I, I like it. I, I would love though, for the sec big 12 challenge, I still want to see Kentucky go on the road to Baylor. And as, uh, as a guy, and, and me and you that cover this program, we're all the time talking about the cool things that we get to do and the cool places we get to go see. I went to Texas Tech a couple of years ago, a great environment with Kentucky walking in, a place where Kentucky never goes. I love to go to Texas. I love to go to Baylor. Some of these other uh, – th- these SEC and the Big, 12, the Big 12 schools and stuff in that challenge. But, hey, anytime you can match up and you get Kentucky and Kansas, you can't complain. Yeah, and, you know, especially following the – disappointment of the NCAA tournament
0: and the St. Peter's loss and how we had to go through and watch North Carolina and, 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 and Kansas duke it out. And it's just as frustrating as that was to see on the surf, you know, on the surface to you know, teams that Kentucky beat so soundly during the regular season, watch them compete for a title. You get the chance to kind of reset that narrative, and and kind of it, it'd be an early opportunity for Kentucky to do that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun uh, to to host the national champion in your in your home venue, show that you belong once again, and and you know get that win record back. And I mean, it's it's there's there's a lot of really cool storylines that go into this matchup that I'm really looking forward to, Sean. And it's uh, um, yet another good home game. I know that's right. something. And the Duquesne game got scheduled. Everybody got you know started flipping their stuff, and uh, I'm excited that uh, we're getting good good scheduling news this time around instead of uh, disappointing news. Yeah,
1: and it's a schedule that probably going to hate the home schedule overall, especially early on in November. I mean, Kentucky fans are never going to be a fan of the who John Calipari brings in there. But it's a schedule overall non-conference that you're starting to look at and see, okay, there's some really good opportunities for Kentucky to get what we assume will be quad one wins. We know the net rankings and everything when it comes out will fluctuate and go up and down. But you got Michigan State in the Champions Classic. you got UCLA in New York in the CBS Sports Classic. You've got a neutral site and matchup with Michigan in London. And then you go through and now you've got Kansas and Louisville. I mean, there's a lot of marquee games there and matchups in the non-conference schedule that honestly, as a Kentucky fan, I would be excited about. I know I'm planning to make the London trip and and do that game, and uh, always love the New York trip. Like there, I know that it's not games at Rupp Arena, but Kentucky certainly will be tested and have opportunities to build a resume before they get into a league that is just going to continue to get better and better. I will make a prediction now: Kentucky will play Arkansas home and away this season. You won't have to worry about that. And it, it, it's it crazy to think that. I think that is it only happened one time. Since like the '90s, I know it was a crazy statistic that popped up this year where they hadn't played Rep Arena and at uh, Bud Walton in the same season, maybe, but maybe once. And I believe it was the year that Arkansas beat them twice. The year Kentucky went all the way to the title game. I think so. Yeah, because that was the
0: James Young block out, or the uh, he didn't box out. What's what's his
1: name in the final set? back dunk? Yeah, Uh, it drove me nuts. so to I me, think, if you're a Kentucky fan, you're you're hoping for a home and away with Tennessee. You're hoping for a home and away with Arkansas, and probably Auburn. I think that I think those are the three in there as well uh, that you get. And I, and I know Kentucky fans are probably like, no, I'd, I'd love. Some people are probably thinking, well, I'd love to have the schedule like Auburn had last year or, or something like that, where you don't have to play all the tough teams home and away. When you're trying to build a resume for the NCAA tournament. Throw out winning the SEC regular season championship. You build your resume. You don't worry about it. And and that's what I want to see. And this schedule, I think, is going to have a lot of loaded matchups for this Kentucky team. And uh, that's another episode for itself, though. We'll we'll be definitely breaking down schedule as it develops, and we'll probably see it sometime, probably sooner this year. Last year it was a little bit later. I, I think we'll get it sometime in August.
0: Well, Sean, that wraps up this edition of the Sources A podcast. I'm glad that we were finally able to get you know throw on these headsets again and and get recording. We'll keep this uh, moving forward. Every little tidbit of news that comes out, we'll do it. Even if it's a little 15 minute show, who cares? We just got to talk about the news. Uh, So yeah, I am. Uh, Looking forward to the next one already. We have Bahamas coming up. We got, you know, games. It's going to be a whole lot of fun here, Sean, and I'm
1: very much looking forward to it. Yeah, we still don't know if we're going to the Bahamas yet. We have no idea, right? Like, who knows?
0: (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. Well, that wraps this one up. Why don't you tell fans where they can find your work?
1: You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry.
0: You can find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. That will be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will
1: see you next week.